Hey, everybody. Welcome to the X-Pod 2 podcast, where the X-Planet women come to get real, have a laugh, have some conversations. This is Heather, and tonight we've got Ramona, Momo, say hi. Hello, guys. Carol Ann is off doing church duty at girls camp. So all the prayers, all the prayers all go the to prayers Carol Ann. <laughs> and here with us, are, we have from across the ocean, Liz Layton Johnson. Hi. So Liz, tell a little bit about yourself and tell about your connection with Exponent. Okay. So I, my name is Liz Johnson. I started blogging with Exponent um, in 2014. And I, I actually just fairly recently, about six, nine months ago, took a break. I had been blogging um, intermittently that entire time. I also at one point um, worked on the magazine as part of like the Global Zion um, column editor. I was on the board briefly. Um, I love Exponent and its community. Um, I grew up, I moved around a lot as a little kid. And then when I was 12 years old, my family moved to Mexico City. And so, and then stayed there for 12 years. So I did all of my junior high, high school years in Mexico City and would go back there from college. Um, mm-hmm. Went to BYU, met my husband, got married, Aww. had one, two, three, four kids. <laughs> We uh, lived in the Midwest for about 10, 11 years after BYU. And then in 2018, we moved our family to the feminist paradise of Saudi Arabia. And that is where we still live. Wow. 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 So I met Liz in 20, in, I met her in person in 2015 in the Johannesburg airport yeah. on our way to Botswana. That's correct. Hey, so, and I met Ramona in person in Barbados. Yeah, you did. So so it's very international. I I refer to Liz as the international woman of mystery. (laughs) So, (laughs) so mysterious. So what I would love to hear first from you, Liz, is if you could share with us, what are some of the misconceptions people have about Saudi Arabia or Islam or, or women in Saudi Arabia, because there's, there's a lot of, a lot of talk. Yes. So I, um, and I mean, obviously I referred to that a little bit with my cheeky mention of the feminist paradise. I, when I told my friends and family that I was moving to Saudi Arabia, most of them thought that I had had a lobotomy or like I was being kidnapped. I was not exactly the person as kind of a loudmouth feminist who hated hot weather. That was not um, where people predicted I would go, but I, and I've lived there five years. Um, and in those five years, I have learned a lot about Saudi Arabia, about the Middle East broadly, about Islam. I'm actually in a graduate program right now um, doing global public policy. And a lot of the courses I've taken have focused on the Middle East region and Islam and just kind of people's interactions with it. So the first thing that I would like to demystify or deconstruct is this idea that Saudi Arabia is the capital of oppressed women. Um, That is just factually inaccurate, I would say. I mean, I definitely, I think Islam gets a lot of um, flack for being a patriarchal religion in a patriarchal world. Um, And so I think everybody 
in some ways is dealing with the effects of patriarchy in their lives. It's just, it shows up differently in Islam than it does like in the West. And I think actually a lot of that goes back to like, I mean, early, like the crusades, but also like just this idea that like somehow like it's exotic or foreign Mm, or like just this orientalist view of um, people in the Middle East and that these women are like exotic veiled figures with no agency or choice or anything in how they live their lives. Um, My experience with Saudi women has been very much the opposite. Um, I feel like, I mean, just to like bare minimum, women work in Saudi Arabia. Women can drive cars now. That was new in 2018, but it is all the rage now. Um, Women can live independently. Women can travel. Women can kind of forge their own path and they are. They're doing a lot of super cool stuff in Saudi Arabia. Um, And it's been a real benefit to the nation as a whole. Um, My, listen, I don't, I don't mean to have favorites, but I do. I have a favorite Saudi woman and she (laughs) is my boxing coach. And she is amazing. She is this woman who has made it her mission to bring women's boxing to Saudi Arabia. And she with some other women in the kingdom have been really pushing to have this included in like the broader sports area. And she has gone up against a lot of things about like whether she could open a gym without a man overseeing it or whether she should even be competing in competitive boxing or whether boxing was actually a sport in and of itself, or if she was just doing it for self-defense in case Mm. a man assaulted her, but she is a competitive boxer and she's currently undefeated. And I'm very proud of her. And she's amazing. Short, short, almost shaved head. And like, is every time I go and work with her in her gym, she's like mad about something. And just like this (laughs) very angry, spit fiery woman who takes no crap and like, is a boxer. I mean, she's a boxer and she's like got posters of Muhammad Ali out everywhere. Like it's just, yeah. it sounds like if me and her would get along very, really well. I think actually <laughs> she would be well welcomed into the exponent community broadly. She's got <laughs> lots of brands and she's just, and she's also a very faithful Muslim woman. She okay. prays five times a day. She like, it's a very important part of her life that she practices her religion and that, you know, she believes in it, but she is a, and she's a spitfire and it's both right. Yeah. And she does not feel oppressed by her religion. I understand oppression is not a feeling, but like she Mm -hmm. is definitely up against systemic issues in terms of like her access to capital and, you know, Mm -hmm. and cultural issues of like whether she is taken seriously, but she's Mm -hmm. fighting back against those. And it's just, it's a different set of hurdles that she has in her life as compared to here. Like Mm -hmm. here there's, I mean, you kind of have it everywhere, but like I, the classic example is like, you know, here women are having their dressing on the side, right? It's like a constant desire for thinness. It's a constant desire for like fitting into this beauty norm. Um, And it's just a different expectation, a different way that we are kind of like grappling with our desire to like be taken seriously and to be given some sort of like social capital to show up in a way that people won't immediately dismiss us, right? For being too radical or too, you know, too whatever. Um, but still like push against the varying things to kind of get what you want and be able to have as many choices in your life as you want. That's a very cool example. Yeah. Yeah. Fun, fun story. I almost became Muslim at one point. Really? Yeah. So well, I'm curious, what was appealing about it to you? Um, I just have always had an appreciation for different religions. Um, 
I had a lot of interactions with Muslim kids at my school. Um, so I feel like if I, I had my own Quran on, on my tablet, and I was just at the point where it was about making the decision. And I just, I think the LDS church got me before the Muslims did. <laughs> and that, and that's the easiest way to explain it because I remember my teacher in one of my classes, I think it was ethics or something. She was talking about Muslims in a really bad way and I was ready to fight her. I was like, lady. Um, but I feel like it's such a beautiful religion when we learn about it. Um, and a lot of people don't take the time to learn about things that are different from mainstream Christianity. Um and even now, like every time I pass a mosque, I get this like super peaceful feeling mm. because I don't have a temple where I live. So like all I have is a mosque. So I'll go and get the peaceful feeling at the mosque. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's I, I'm almost embarrassed to say, like, I really did not make the connection that the actual word Islam is like the actual word for peace in Arabic. Mm. Did not make that connection. It's, it's like a whole religion that is supposed to be founded on peace and there are feminist heroes in islam too like some of the prophet muhammad's wives were like these warrior fighter women and like there's there's a lot of cool there's a very robust feminist muslim um movement and community okay so i'm curious liz like i know that where you live so you mm-hmm. live in a compound correct like it explain a little bit what that means okay so where i live i live in this deliberate community that was made i believe in like the 1930s um, that was meant to keep the Americans separate from the broader Saudi community with the whole oil exploration thing. Um, mm. And so, because they didn't, that was part of the agreement is you kind of had to keep your people separate, keep your practices yeah. separate. And so today it's not, there's not that separation culturally or anything. Actually, my next door neighbors are Saudis that, you know, okay. like people are kind of in and out all over the place, but it is just a community for the company that we work for. It has about, I think, like 10,000 people on it. I mean, it's got like several grocery stores and so gyms and stuff. And how many Mormons? Because it seems tons. like there's tons of Mormons over there. There are. It, so listen, Muslims and Mormons dovetail. They get along really well. So, and that's what I'd like yeah. to talk to you a little bit about, because I feel like as Mormons, we're all like, we have a Jewish friend and we're like, oh my gosh, I love the Jews. Like we, you know, we relate to you. Like we feel this affinity for the Jewish people, you know, because the the, the yeah. whole, their religion like we're like we see that as part one and we've got part two mm-hmm. so but we don't do that with islam and we should actually we because should. i think we actually have a huge we have a ton of cultural overlap i mean just like the n- obvious things like they fast right they fast for ramadan once a year um we fast they don't drink alcohol we don't drink alcohol they want you know larger families we have larger families. It's a very, uh, like living in Saudi Arabia is an extraordinarily family-friendly environment. Mm-hmm. I feel like I come back to the U.S. and all of a sudden people are staring at me and my four kids like we are running some sort of circus thing, especially outside <laughs> of Utah. <laughs> um, oh. But in Saudi Arabia, it's nothing but like compliments and, you know, people praising us and saying how wonderful it is that we have yeah. these kids. Um, but also just like, it's a very like, theologically like there's there's actually a decent amount of overlap just in terms of like how you're supposed to care for each other how you're supposed to kind of care for the earth how you like how we're meant to be in community just these kinds of things and it's just a family friendly um they also they pay tithing when they fast or like a type of fast offering it's called zakat they pay it during ramadan they're supposed to take the money 
that they are saving from fasting and donate it to the poor. Like it's very, very similar. So So why do you think we don't, why do you think that, that Americans, but, but Mormons as well have this sort of like visceral, like fear or feel like Islam is so different? Um, I think part of it. uh, So one thing I've always thought is really funny is almost anybody I've ever talked to who's, who spent time at the BYU Jerusalem center came back very like Mm -hmm. (laughs) pro-Palestinian and with an affection towards the Muslim community in that region. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of it is because as like a broader desire to like align with the evangelical community in the United States, which are definitely pro-Israel, pro a more Zionist thing. I think also um, it just goes back to these, I I mean, it goes back to a lot of like fears of terrorism, fears of like this other um, and a broadly a media emphasis on like violence done in the name of Islam, whereas we don't like to focus so much as on violence done in the name of Judaism or Christianity or any of these other faiths, right? Like that happened, but might not happen directly as much to, I mean, there's anti-Semitic violence in the States, but that don't, they don't feel like an attack on our nation the same way that people seem to perceive Islam as being an attack on our nation, right? Like it's, it's a problem. I don't think it's accurate, but I think that's why. Yeah. I think we kind of, we kind of fear, um, like a lot of us millennials, we are kind of raised to fear Muslim people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even me, who like Muslims are ingrained in Barbadian society. But it, I remember like the first time I traveled after 9-11 and I was like 14. I remember there was a Muslim guy on our flight and I was like, why am I freaking out? They're Muslims in Barbados. Um, and a lot of us have been socialized to fear what we don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, going back to like what you said, there's so many similarities between us because, you know, when we think about the um, Abrahamic religions, you think about Christianity, you think about Islam, you think about Judaism, all of us are very, very, very similar. But for some reason, that whole fear based thing kind of divides us into like these subcategories. Like, if I don't learn about you in my religion, I don't really need to know and I'll fear you for what I don't know. Right. I think it's just, it's the new red scare. It's, Mm -hmm. I think people who grew up during the cold war had this fear of communism, of Russians, of like this type of thing. And I think Islam is just the new thing that we're supposed to, the new other that we're supposed to be scared of. What purpose does the other serve? Because it seems like we always have to have one. Oh, that's a really big question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I think it's a way to reinforce our own identity in some ways. Okay. I think it's like a, if you can identify who the other is, you can identify who you are. That's true. It's true. Like it. You look in literature and you always need a foil. Right. You need a villain. Yeah. Right. And I think that's just, it's our like human nature to kind of want to break things down and put things in like some sort of binary. Mm-hmm. But I think if like Gen Z or anybody is teaching us anything is that like the, the world does not actually need to be lived in a binary and that yeah. we can have a more pluralistic society and view on things. But I, I do think it's like, a natural impulse that we have to fight against to not just see things in terms of difference and in terms of like a, an us versus them or a black or a white, yeah. which is also the broader project of Mormon feminism too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Very good. <laughs> very, very good. Okay. So if you were going to bring three things back from mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, let's say you move back to the States at some point okay. and you could import three either things or concepts Ooh. Okay. What, um, what do you think they would be? Number one is 
hospitality, Arab hospitality, um, is unmatched. I feel like I have traveled more than probably the average American person and Arab hospitality cannot, cannot be beat. Give me a little flavor. Um, here, let me think of, I mean, there's just a bunch of them. I, so one time we were out in the desert with a bunch of just friends driving our cars through the desert, trying to find a place to camp. Um, and there's nothing out there. It's crazy. You like, you just drive out where I live. It's just, it's, is sand. Like that's yep. a city. You, and if you leave the city, it's sand. So are there roads through the sand or are you no. driving on sand? No, you're driving on sand. So you basically, you're driving down the highway and then you just like turn right or left or whatever. <laughs> and go out into the desert. There's nothing. There's no light poles. Oh my there's gosh. no signs. There's oh. no anything. And you just kind of have to judge how hard packed or soft packed the sand is. I mean, cars are getting stuck all Does over the place. GPS still work. Uh, so not your like Google maps, not your traditional GPS. Okay. But you get other like GPS tracking softwares that you can use to track your location. So you can always like out and back, back like, to the freeway you if you your, need like, to. like CIA GPS? Yeah, kind of. Okay. It's a whole yeah, thing. I, I think that would scare the living daylights out of me because I, even when I drive in Utah and it's on the other side of the road, I freak out. Yeah, My it's friend. a trip to have nothing. Okay, which car. side of the road do they drive? They drive on the the right side, not just the correct side, but the actual okay, right versus okay, left side of the okay. road. It's not a British colony. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll just drive out into the desert. And at one point we come, as you do, come upon this huge herd of camels. And so of course oh. everyone's stopping their cars, getting out. And then I think we were actually stuck in the sand at that point. So it was also a convenient opportunity to dig ourselves out and go take pictures of the camels. And the Bedouins that happened to be herding this set of camels mm-hmm. We're like, so great to meet you in like very, you know, medial English. They're like, follow us, follow us. We'll take you to our camel farm. Oh, stop it. So they oh, just take us to their camel farm, world. right? And they've got all these camels. And you're and not thinking for one minute they're going to murder you. Not at all. No, are you kidding? <laughs> no, they take us over there. And then, of course, they've got this one lactating camel. They're like, we're going to milk the camel for you. They milk the camel for us. <laughs> they've got this fresh, warm thing of camel milk. Did I take a sip? I absolutely did. Knowing what I know now, you can actually get some weird diseases from that. Like, <laughs> I did it. It's fine. YOLO. Um, and then they like, they're like, no, come sit in our tent. It's too windy, which in the desert is a real thing. It gets real dust stormy fast. But come into our tent. And we went in there and they fed us a spread. A spread of wow. just like fruits, vegetables, dates, all the stuff that they had. Arabic tea and coffee. All these different things, which, you know, most of the people we were traveling with were Mormons and were like, oh, how do I respectfully yeah. <laughs> decline? Mm-hmm. Um, or just ignorantly partake. Exactly. Just like kind of, and then sort of toss it. No. But it was just, and again, these people are, they are living off of their camels. They're living on, you know, it's like, they're mm-hmm. not, they're it's not a, wealthy people. It's a totally different economy. But it's just like, these are the, these are the people you have. And I have known people who have like gotten lost in the desert or have broken down um, I knew people who got, who broke down in the desert and were in, I mean, literally the, they call it the empty quarter. It is the middle of nowhere. There's no cell phone service. Even like your GPS stuff is real sketch. And a Bedouin happened upon them, said, hop in our truck. We'll take you back to our tent. And they did. And they took them and again, fed them this enormous meal, yeah. slaughtered things for them. Mm. It was a whole thing. And when they were done, they said, great, if you can get us back to town, we'll go call for a truck. What they didn't realize is that the Bedouins had already gone and towed their truck. Stop it. Had it right oh there. Oh my gosh. That is beautiful. To like, if the world could be like the Bedouin, like, yeah. it would be so great. And all Saudis are like this. They're they, like, I mean, probably not all, but 
the culture is such that you, you care for people in this way. And anytime I have ever needed to ask anybody for help or anything like that, I went on a road trip with my girlfriends actually, because we had just gotten our licenses. It was a really big bureaucratic nightmare. We got them. How many times did it take you to get your license? Well, it only, it took me six weeks of going to various buildings and tests and getting stamps and then a drive to Riyadh and back, which is like four hours. Oh my gosh. It was such a pain, but we got them. Okay. And we're like, we're going on an all girls road trip. The problem, listen, Saudi Arabia does not have the best public restrooms for women. Okay. Because a lot of the cleaners are men. They don't want to go in the women's bathroom. So they get real nasty. So we were just going to pull over on the side of the road, pee in the sand because sure. sand. Yeah. Okay. YOLO. YOLO. We, it became such a problem because anytime we pulled over and got out of our car, four or five oh cars would pull up. And we're like, can we get you anything? Are you okay? Oh my god! And we're like, we're we're fine. <laughs> we want to like peace. I just need to pop a squad. Yeah, but no. I mean, so many people would just—it's the immediate thing. If anyone needs anything, yeah. okay, like, yeah. Okay, so, so number one, hospitality. hospitality. Okay. Absolutely. Um, number two is—it's hard to pick like a food, but I'm going to go with dates. Okay, really, oh. I, I'm a real date fan girl. They many or most of the dates produced in the world are produced in Saudi Arabia. If you can get them freshly dried and sweetened, and especially if you want to get them like stuffed with like some crushed pistachios or some like sugar ginger, they are phenomenal. Truly like the best little snacky treat. Okay. Um, what else would I take from Saudi Arabia? I mean, there's just, there's a lot there. I think I would take, Okay. Some people hate this, but I love it. You are not able to have any type of formal conversation with anybody without first asking about somebody's family and checking mm-hmm. in on them. That's so like sweet. even in the business world, you can't be like, let's get down to business and have this meeting. No, everyone needs to like talk to each other, check in on everybody for like 20 mm-hmm. minutes before anything gets started. It can be very frustrating to people who are used to like efficient business settings. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's the advantage it. of that? Tell me what you think that brings. Um, I think it brings it brings a sense of community a little bit. It brings just a sense of caring that you would actually care that, you know, your coworkers, the name of their kids, right. That you know what's going on with people's lives, that you have some interest in them as people and not just as economic pawns. Yeah. I I love that. I feel like even that could benefit us in the church because sometimes well, most of the times my interaction with people in the church is like, okay, what are you doing? Are you doing everything that you can to be a good member? And often it's so little about me as the individual. Like, what are you struggling with? What's going on in your life? I figured that if we could slow down like that, it would benefit us so much. So I'm going to bring up, I'm going to do a little, little, I'm going to take a, take a, a little detour from Saudi Arabia and, and come back to some just LDS stuff. Because so Liz Okay, this is very, very funny. And Liz is also linguistically um, really good at labeling things. She's insightful. Like she can kind of see patterns and then label them well. So one of my favorite terms that I got from Liz is that Sunday school, that long forgotten middle hour, like you had sacrament meeting and then you had Sunday school and half of us never made it into Sunday school. Because we were in the foyer, whatever. And Liz referred to that one time as hall ministry. Yeah. And that is, I'm thinking about it because the talking to people, the getting to know them. And Liz was sort of saying that she felt like 
it was so important for people to have this unstructured time where they just talk to each other and that all sorts of super important things happened in that time. You find out someone was having surgery or you find out that, you know, somebody was kind of depressed or, or whatever. And, and that, and that's why I sometimes bemoan the fact that we, what cut it to two hours and, mm-hmm. and that, that it wasn't just social. And I think people minimize socialization. It seems like it's fluff. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it is. I actually think that's the whole point. I think that's the connection piece of the community. And that if, yeah, I actually, I, I was worried you were going to bring up the fact that I have a terribly, horrible problem with sympathetic accents. I, I just try so hard to no, like, it's a whole We problem. get on an, an airplane headed to London and within three seconds, Liz has a British accent. It's, it's a real um, problem. Like, well, okay. let her come to Barbados and let her try speaking with a Barbadian accent. That Honestly, would be- I think it would happen because I picked up the bots one-on-one way too fast too. Yes. Oh yeah. No, like it's, it's my favorite. Oh. Liz's sympathetic accent. Okay. No, it's Wait, sorry, back to the home community. Yes. Yes. No, I really do think that's actually, here's what I also think. I think people who are kind of like lingering back or hanging out in the halls, generally speaking, it's because they are going that like, they don't want to go to class. Right. Or like there, there's something in class that they're nervous about. They one, they might not know, like just on a minimum night, not know who to sit by mm-hmm. or like, just don't feel comfortable. But also because sometimes I think we have a tendency, well, I know we have a tendency in the church to teach the ideal, to talk about all yes. the things that we should be doing or the ways that we should be doing things. Mm-hmm. And I think, or how things should look, what yes. family should uh, look. Exactly. And most of us don't fit it. And yeah. I think for those who don't fit it a lot, they're the ones kind of hanging out in the halls. And so, and I think that's actually where ministry matters more. Like no offense to all the people who have all their stuff together, but like, good, that's great. Now, can we like, Okay, forever ago on the blog, Top Hat wrote a post called Edge Cases. And she was talking about how she is a software developer and how when they write code to develop software, they they will write, you know, the the main code that's supposed to make everything work. But then after that, about 80% of the time, they are only focused on edge cases, which are all the cases in which the code doesn't work, right? All the things that trip up with the code. All the exceptions. And I honestly think that's true. And she mentions this in the post, like that's how it is. In the church, 80% of us or more, probably closer to 100, like we don't fit that. And we yeah. should be paying a lot more attention instead of like focusing on all the should, 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 all the ideals that we're supposed to be doing and everything. Instead, focusing on all the ways that like, again, we can be more pluralistic about it, right? Different ways that we can adapt, different ways that we can make these things work, different ways that our lives look, that not everybody has the, you know, two parent, 3.5 kid, you know. Stay at home. Like nobody has that no, and not very many people had it to begin with. Like we just yeah. kind of have this idealization or it looks like people have it. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've had several clients this week talk about abusive childhoods and going to church on Sunday and hearing, you know, like I, you know, I have my mother near me. My, what I don't even know the yeah. words. Kneel, pray. Yeah, like the love is spoken here. Yes, the love is spoken here. Like, love is not spoken here. You know, and it it's really, spoken here. It's really hard for them to to sort of reconcile because they feel like they have to either pretend, yeah, like yeah. it's normal and and hide from everyone, and it really kind of screws up their notion of of belonging with within the church, with God, within their family. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. And, yeah, this idea that like, you know, God has sent me here with kind and loving parents that are supposed to mirror what our relationship with God is. Yeah, that can mess you up. And it's, 
And I think those are the cases. I mean, I remember I would just sit in the foyer with a woman in my ward who, you know, was married to an LDS man who had been divorced, who was still sealed to his first wife. Sorry, we're having a cat fight over here. Okay. And not me. And not me unless two literal cats. Literally a cat fight. Um, (laughs) He was married to this man who had been married before and he wanted to get sealed to her in the temple. And she loved him and they had been married a very long time, but just this idea that she would be married to him and sealed to him as a second a wife. Second wife. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know. And she's like, and everyone just tells me it will all work out. Oh. And that's so unsatisfactory. And I, and I was like, was I, again, I had nothing no. really to say, but just the fact that like, she sat outside Relief Society because the lessons about family and marriage were so painful. Mm-hmm. I guess I want this forever, but I don't know if I want that forever. Yeah. And this is an edge case right? Yeah. This is an edge. Mm-hmm. Or people I feel like, have weird I, kids, you know, mm-hmm. less of an edge case these days. Yeah. But yeah. Edge from the theology. I, you know? I feel like if I have like a lot of those experiences with the, the hall ministering, I have felt the spirit more outside of the lessons that are going on. Um, yeah. The marriage lessons annoy me. The conversations about um, eternal families, sometimes they're just so surface level. Mm-hmm. sometimes I'm just sitting in the backseat rolling my eyes at everything that's going on because it's <laughs> not really anything that is going to feed my soul it's just you telling yeah. me what I'm not doing and I for some people it can be so devastating to come to a place where they don't feel like if they belong and the hallway becomes like a sanctuary and a safe place where they can just not talk about what they're doing wrong and just be together and just connect on, on just through this individual human level. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think actually, I think backing myself up, I think Jesus ministered in groups and he ministered individually. You know what I mean? Like a group setting is not always the best place for us to minister to people or to, to catch people. And if we're yeah. going to be people, you're Bedouins, unless you're Bedouins, in which case, unless yes. you're Bedouins. <laughs> um, Bedouin, everyone wants a Bedouin home teacher. Yes, we do. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? And I had a visiting teacher I asked to be taken off the rules of visiting teaching because I hated it. I felt like I couldn't form authentic relationships because I never knew if somebody was coming to be my real friend or just be my visiting teaching friend. Right. And I didn't uh, understand how to make that. That is the worst. It's the worst. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And my Relief Society president said, let me sign you up with this one person. And I swear to you after two months, if it doesn't work, I will take you off the rules and never ask you about it again. And I said, fine. And I did not know this person. <laughs> yeah. And she was the best visiting. She would often text me and be like, I'm going to be at your house in five minutes with a Diet Coke. I don't have time to talk, but I was thinking about you. And we would just yeah. drop this big <laughs> Diet Coke in my house and leave. And I was like, okay, you are good at this. <laughs> yeah. That's what I wanted. You know, and we actually got to be really good friends. And then the natural conversations could open up. But just the fact that she kind mm-hmm. of knew me well enough to know, one, I needed a text ahead of time. Because I don't, yeah. I don't like well-intentioned social terrorists just showing up at my house out. <laughs> oh, the social terrorists. I love that. I don't like that. Um, that I, you know, that I was in school and needed caffeine and I was busy and I didn't have time to just sit and talk for a long period. You know, she just, she got it. And I think that's what it's kind of supposed to be. And I, listen, sometimes you go to those rooms of Sunday school or Relief Society or wherever, it just feels like a performance. Like we're all performing what Mormonism should, should be on paper and we're all seeing the right answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like you said, it's so surface level and so, um, shallow yeah I feel like if I could write the thesis on this I have struggled so much with home teaching I'm like I am you could put my name down on 18 lists I'm not doing it Mm -hmm. I'm not being fake 
please don't call me if I don't like you. Like, um, <laughs> and I say that like because during the pandemic, when I got COVID and I got anxiety after, and I was talking about you know struggling with anxiety, feeling difficult being at church, and everybody is like nodding their head and like, okay, cool, whatever. And then you're calling me pretending that you like care about what I'm going, what's going on, and I'm like, something here is not making sense, and I don't think. I I just think that a lot of the times people just want to say, I've completed something on the roster. I can say that I visited, teacher, taught somebody, sorry. And just, they just want to complete to say, oh yeah, I'm good. I'm a Mm -hmm. good person. And I find it so insincere. I'm like, please don't make me a visiting teacher. If I don't look like you, I'm not calling you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't care about somebody if you don't know them first. And I think, I think we skip the knowing piece because that, that is the stuff that happens in the halls. That's the yeah. stuff that happens before church, after church, in the halls, um, informally. I feel like a lot of times people are more concerned about what you're doing than how you are doing. You know what I mean? Like they're more concerned. Yeah. yeah just about keeping everybody. Like keeping up appearances. Like yeah, the keeping old- up appearances. Making sure that you're performing Mormonism to the extent that you'll be accepted in the community. Yeah. So, like is- the BBC show. What does Mormonism look like in your community in Saudi Arabia? Officially, it does not exist. Okay. So <laughs> talk about that. Yeah. So officially, Saudi Arabia is a is a Muslim country. Officially. Like, we got a king. He's, it's a Muslim country. It's also the land of, like, the two holiest mosques in Islam. And they take the responsibility for those mosques extremely seriously. Okay? So officially, there is no practice of any other religion outside of Islam in Saudi Arabia. What does it mean to practice your religion, right? Does it mean that you are proselyting? Does it mean that you are meeting together? If you are meeting together, can it just be for social reasons or like, you know, all these Mm -hmm. different things? So people are um, creative in meeting together in social settings, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In groups that share faith groups. And I believe this is one of the many things about Saudi Arabia that is changing. Saudi in the last five years has opened up Listen, when I moved there, women had only been driving for six weeks. There were no movie theaters in Saudi Arabia. Every woman's face was blurred out in an advertisement or on billboards or anything. You could not see women's faces in public. Um, most women, I would say probably upwards of 90, 95% wore the black abaya, which is like the long um, kind of flowy dress with the yeah. which is you have a black head covering and the one that covers your nose and mouth. So you only see the eyes. Um, now, we have movie theaters. You see women's faces on all sorts of things. Um, everybody's driving all over the place. It's women are, I mean, the young Saudi girls, they're wearing like cute little Western outfits with their bias like open, like they're Superman mm-hmm. capes almost or something. Oh, <laughs> or it's no bias at all. Very rarely still for Saudis that way. Um, but it's just, it is shifting to a more open, um, pluralistic, maybe society. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have concerts now. You didn't, I mean, I talked to my boxing instructor and she talks about growing up and they couldn't, they couldn't listen to music, any music mm-hmm. at all. Wow. Religious music, any music was wrong. You could not do it. You would get cited by the religious police for it. Like they would pull you over in your car if they thought you were listening wow. to music. And how she had a poster of like Britney Spears, <gasps> like hidden under her bed. And she would sometimes like unroll it and like oh secretly gosh. listen to her. Oh music. My God. Like, oh my God. <laughs> You said did it again. Exactly. <laughs> but it was just, it was very strict, very patrolled society. Mm. It was very much enforced. 
And five months before I moved there, the religious police were disbanded, stripped of their authority. Mm. So you don't have people going around saying you're a bias too short, or you need to wear this, or you can't do this, or you can't do this. And it has just led to people. I mean, and it's still a, a conservative, modest society, both mm-hmm. in dress and behavior. Um, but it is, I mean, there's like this thing called Riyadh season, which is in the capital city of Riyadh, which is like in the middle of the country. They have this huge winter festival because that's when the weather is nice. And we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, pop-up amusement parks, massive concerts, like music festivals, all these different things. Saudi just started hosting its own film festival, which is a wow. really big deal. Um, it's just like, it's, they're inviting the arts, they're inviting sport, they're inviting a whole lot of things. And some people will argue that it's trying to like sports wash or clear their image. And maybe who knows if that actually is part of the motivation or not. But what I do know is that the government is also pumping so much money into building sports gyms and training facilities to build up Saudi sport. Because again, there weren't women's exercise facilities when I went there. All exercising there is still single sex. I honestly strongly prefer it. Yeah. I like working out with all the women. Um, But like now there's women's gyms and they, they are putting on their own like Saudi games where they're doing these huge sports. So how do you go to church on Sunday? Do they have buildings? Well, first of all, if you did, it would be Friday. Okay. Um, Because that's the holy day. And no, there's mosques. So if you're going to gather, you're going to gather informally, like in somebody's home, or maybe you can get a business to like on the low key, let you use their conference room or something like that. No churches, no churches, no churches. The UAE, which is next to Saudi Arabia, has kind of embraced this religious pluralism. In fact, the church is building a temple there um, that's going to be like next to like a basilica, a Catholic basilica and a Jewish synagogue as like part of their, we are religiously pluralistic. The Saudis and the Emiratis are very good buddies. Mm-hmm. And I think the Saudis are kind of watching to see how this goes. Okay. Um, that's my own guess. I, I have no inside scoop. So are you organized into wards? Yeah. So they are still organized into wards. Officially, though, like it doesn't really exist. Like if okay. I here, if I were to pull up, I hope I still have it downloaded. My LDS Um, and I were to go to my organizations, you can see my stake, and then you see a whole bunch of asterisks. Oh my gosh! Because officially, there are no wards. Um, wow. there are in Bahrain, there are in Kuwait. Okay, those people recognize them, but in Saudi Arabia, there's officially so, none. Tell me about baptism um like in Saudi Arabia yeah if people are to do it most people go back to the states okay or they go to there is um the stake center is in Bahrain which from us is like a 45 minute they leave the country you leave the country okay yeah Yeah, because I think you would probably get in trouble is it the pool party yeah it's a pool party (laughs) so that's kids gonna have a pool party yeah okay exactly so So is it a pool party baptism or do you all go back to the states Sorry, say that one more time. I was asking, um, I heard something about pool parties. I was like, is it a pool party baptism or or does everybody, every single body have to go back to America to do stuff? So our company, there, it's like sort of a rule that you kind of have to go back to your home. It's part of the rule of the visa, actually, that you have to okay. leave for a certain amount of time every year. And most people use that time to go back and see their families. Um, and, you know, so people go back to wherever they're from, whether it's like okay. US, UK, wherever. And so a lot of people, if they're going to baptize their kids, do that then also because then they have family around usually yeah, and things. If you do have it either in Bahrain or I'm sure people do it on the, on the sly in Saudi Arabia, they'll just call it a pool party and be like, my kid's turning eight, come for their pool party. <laughs> and if somebody happens to go underwater in a white jumpsuit, 
Oh, oh. Well, be the wiser, right? <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, but officially that's not happening. Okay. So officially like, okay, yeah. I want to pivot to your um, teenage years in Mexico. <laughs> okay. And because this is, these are some stories that Liz told me that kind of blew my mind. Talk a little bit about what went on. It was the nineties. Yeah. Was I was it? there from 90, my high school, middle school years were like, we moved there 93 to 99. Okay. Talk about kidnapping. Okay. So that, listen, <laughs> Mexico, you hear about that more in the news these days, or maybe I do. Cause I'm attuned to it. Um, people would just, especially wealthy Mexican families would have people who would kidnap for ransom and kids would have, especially like, it was usually like either the adult in the family, like the adult male, or sometimes the kids and they would be kidnapped. Families had kidnapping insurance that they would, they would have policies taken out and the person would be kidnapped. There would be a very like business-like negotiation. Ransom would be paid. The person would be returned. No harm, no foul. I do remember there was a kid in my high school who like disappeared. And I was like, whatever happened to that kid? I haven't seen him in a while. And they're like, ah, oh, he got kidnapped. They're still working on oh it. Gosh. And then he oh, came wow. back and he was like, yeah, I just played Xbox with these guys for like a month or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, one morning, my family got a call that um, from my mom actually answered the phone and it was my dad's boss. And the boss said, can you pass the phone over to your husband? Um, these guys are serious. And they passed the thing over and my dad's boss had been kidnapped um by actually off-duty federal police officers oh my gosh and they had been beating him up and he didn't have much on him at the time he only had like I think an ATM card that they had maxed out but that was it and they wanted more money and so they were asking for a ransom for my dad's boss now they did not know that he was like the head of whatever bank in Mexico City at the time they thought he was like a more lowly employee um and so my dad said they asked for what was an insulting ransom <laughs> <laughs> like, insultingly low insultingly low oh my gosh oh, but no. it was still more than my dad had on him <laughs> so he's like all right let me go get this arranged like you know call me back at this number or whatever and they basically were like yeah it'd be a shame for this guy to die for like his atm card and a nice watch click and we were like what so we called the embassy <laughs> and the embassy was like don't leave because they could have somebody out there waiting to kidnap him like kidnap oh your my dad gosh. of course this is happening like as my dad's pulling out of the driveway and thankfully, oh, wow. but they were like, you know, we don't know what they know about you. Long mm-hmm. story short, the sun was coming up. These guys had to go back on shift. They got sick of him and they put him in the trunk of his own car and just put a brick on the accelerator <gasps> and ran him down a hill into a house. And oh the only gosh. reason he survived is because he was in the trunk. So that, that was like the beginning of like when things were kind of a little bit ramping up crime wise okay. and nothing else. I have heard stories of the kidnappings become a, becoming a lot less Nintendo. Yeah. Like I just, you know, people, I remember there was yeah. a story of a kid from my, I mean, not somebody I knew, but somebody who kid went to my school where they were kidnapped. The ransom was paid, but they returned the kid in a burning car. And oh he, my gosh. He, he had been killed. So it's like, that's terrifying. Yeah. It got really scary. But at the same time, listen, when you're 14, 15, you just know what you know. Right. So I didn't think any of this was like that weird. You just grow up and you're like, yeah, sometimes people get, you know, whatever. It's not a big yeah. deal. And then you go to college and you realize your high school experience was very so different. So what are the advantages, do you think, Liz, of, of for you and for your kids of having kind of this dual growing up experience? Yeah. They call it, they call it third culture kids. <gasps> Ooh, I know. Like third culture kids, because you don't really fit 
in your home country and you don't really fit wherever you live either. It's like you kind of have this third thing where you're kind of straddling. What did Heather or what did Top Hat call it? Edge cases. Edge cases. Or edge cases. Your edge cases. Human edge cases. And the best thing that I think that it gave me growing up and that I hope it's giving my kids is that it teaches them and me that there are many ways to do things and not necessarily a right way to do things mm. that you just see people. I mean, and that goes not just like how you live your life, but also like political systems or yeah. justice systems or, you know, different things, just kind of seeing, or just like different holidays that people celebrate, just kind of seeing that there are so many different ways that you can live your life. And none of them is like morally superior to the other. It's just, just different, just different. Okay. Momo, I would love to hear from you. What are some of your experiences with that when you're doing school with predominantly U.S. Americans? Yeah. Like, what are some instances where you've kind of run up to where you say something and everyone's like, no, that's wrong. And you're like, no, it's just different. Ooh. Well, first off, before I even address that question, like talking about the kidnappings, reminded me of the movie man on fire we were talking about this before <laughs> we came on and started to record i love that movie but that hey, movie tell really me about that movie momo i don't even know that movie okay so it's the movie of this guy this rich guy in mexico and he has a daughter his daughter gets kidnapped and then so washington was assigned to be her bodyguard and he was like an ex-cia operative or something like that and so he literally starts tracking down the people that kidnapped her. He dies at the end. It's a sad movie. I cried horribly. No. But she's returned to her family eventually in the end. So that was my first understanding of kidnappings in Mexico. So yeah. keep Kevin but, Costner as your bodyguard. Pick me, right? choose me, or <laughs> love me, Denzel Washington. No, no. I mean, I mean, I, I think the trifecta would be Denzel Washington. Um Oh my gosh, Henry Cavill <laughs> in the in the Geralt wig from from The Witcher. He has to bring the wig. <laughs> yeah, I love me some Benjamin Bratt. I'm just gonna mm-hmm. some Benjamin Bratt. Benjamin Bratt is a good looking man. Also a great bodyguard <laughs> in Miss Congeniality. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. That yes. movie is a staple. And Liz, talk about your connection with that movie. So, Man on Fire was filmed in the neighborhood that I lived in. So it actually like it is eerie <laughs> to watch that movie it's definitely like a very sensationalized view of things but also like the houses are familiar to me like I could I could tell you I probably could have been them when I was going back there more often but like I knew exactly where they, they would drive down the street and I was like oh I know exactly where they are oh my gosh it's eerie <laughs> and then to have this like kidnapping subplot on top of it too I'm like is this based on a family I know <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah yeah so have you had a chance to think of some instances where everyone just assumed something oh. was a certain way because that's the way they always did it and you were oh. sort of alone? I I feel like if um a lot of the times they think of Barbados, they don't think of Barbados as being an educated place. Hmm. So but I come and I tell them that, you know, like we have a British education and most times the Brit- the education system is better than in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, no, it isn't. Oh, no, it isn't. And I was like, um, the things that you learn in college, we learn in primary school. We learn them in elementary school. And 
so like there are instances like that. Um, there are instances too, like when we're talking about politics, um, and they're like, oh yeah, all all countries that are not the U.S. have like corruption, and I'm like, really? As if there's no corruption in yeah, the US. Like, if there's no corruption in American local government or, or whatever. And right. most of the times it's absolutely hilarious. And I have to turn my webcam off because I know I'll get kicked out of school for laughing at them. Um, <laughs> but I just I just sit there sometimes. I'm like, thank you for the entertainment today. I, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm not going to laugh on camera. <laughs> You know, it's funny, like just all the th- people, people will come to Saudi Arabia. And one of the things they'll notice a lot is that you see like the king's picture in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, we don't do this. We don't put our president's picture ever, up everywhere. And I'm like, no, but like everyone's got an American flag on their shirt. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just different. It's just a different, different way of like, yeah, patriotic. It's just a different way of yeah. being patriotic or nationalistic or whatever. It's just um, a different way of reminding you like of your national. Yeah. And I think, I think too, like. And I've only seen this like with the missionaries more so. There's some missionaries that came here and assumed because um I don't know. I don't know what he what what he what he was on, but he assumed that because we're in Barbados, we're outside the US, that we don't watch American TV, we don't watch American news, we're not aware of what's going on in the world. I was like, do you think that we I was like People from the Caribbean sometimes could tell you everything that's going on in the news. He was like, oh, you don't know. You shouldn't have an opinion because you don't ha- You only have one TV channel. I was like, dude, dude. Come on. Well, I think that Americans are generally mostly only informed about America. And mm-hmm. I feel like other countries recognize that, that the world is not American, that they have mm-hmm. a wider range of political yeah. knowledge. Yeah. And I think they're generally pretty aware that Americans think that too. Like, and I, I mean, the American empire is such that you are going to like, you're going to see American news everywhere. You're going to see American products and brands. I mean, if I, I don't think I've been anywhere that hasn't had a McDonald's yet, for example. Okay. What Barbados is Abbott? So we need to wrap up, but okay. I want to know what three things uh-huh. from the States uh-huh. do you, would you import? Would you bring? Okay. This is going to be a controversial take. Okay. Circus peanuts, <laughs> the little orange candies. I love circus peanuts. I love them so much. Here's the thing: Slightly I think they're stale. yes. Oh my gosh, you have to steal the bag first. You can't just eat them fresh. No, you have to open it. You up have to open it and let it sit for like a day. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Listen, and I think they're full of gelatin, which is why they're probably because everything in Saudi Arabia is halal. Oh and you yeah, can't have pork gelatin over it's there. Like, All our marshmallows like, have beef gelatin. It's like fish. you know, hoof. Yeah, exactly. The it's second like, ingredient is like yeah, it's like hoof, hoof sugar, banana flavoring. That's not real. That's not I real. Love I love it. Oh They're my gosh. so good. Okay. That's one thing I would bring. Um, I mean, again, just the, okay, listen, we could argue about whether Americans actually value pluralism, but I think ideally we do just this idea that like you do you and like, we kind of can live in a society where we accept and accommodate each other's differences. Mm-hmm. And you know, like if you're not hurting anybody, then like go about your business. It's fine. So that is something I would like to see more of Saudi again. It used to be you couldn't like if you tried to bring a Christmas tree in from Bahrain, they would confiscate it. Wow. Right? Like it's like certain because it was considered a religious symbol. And they're getting much more lax about that. Like little bits of pluralism are sneaking in. And I think it will be ultimately to the country's benefit. And also 
I understand that they're going to probably stop that much sooner than like the US or Western Europe or anywhere is because I think they want to preserve an Islamic identity and not have it be overrun by like some sort of consumerist Western Mm -hmm. thing. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Okay. So Um, circus peanuts, pluralism, pluralism, um, shorts. (laughs) It's, um, it's hot. It's so hot there. And I can wear shorts on my compound, but if I leave my compound, I'm expected to wear pants to my ankles and a shirt to my wrists. I don't have to wear the abaya over it anymore. So I, I have removed it layer. Okay. Which has been great for my heat stroke thing. But so at BYU, Idaho, uh-huh. one cannot wear shorts nor capris. Yeah. Which I think is absolutely antiquated. Like, what are the angles going to do to you? You can't wear overalls or flip flops. I heard. Wait, you can't wear overalls? No, no, it's too farmer. Because once upon a time, farmers would show up with like cow manure on their overalls. Yeah, like, it's, it's I a- just. OK, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia was photographed wearing shorts at like some beach resort the shock that went through the country i mean people could not because they they have rules at malls like men can't wear shorts like it's a whole the calf muscles are not to be exposed in this country um but you are seeing more and more men wearing shorts if we could get women uh, listen i'll take caprice oh we can just get shorter pants so that i don't feel like my clothes are trying to murder me with sweat (laughs) in the summers that would be great yeah and if we could like just kind of desexualize the ankle that would also uh, yeah. be nice but that that slutty slutty ankle i know the minor slutty, real slutty too that's ankle, very victorian yeah. type. <laughs> i am salivating i knew right i was gonna say you can see them and i've noticed your yes. active yes. restraint this I'm, entire I'm recording ogling or uh, ogling how do we pronounce it ogling, ogling her ankles yeah so <laughs> all right well Thank you, Liz. It is just oh my gosh! I know, delightful to talk to you. And I love this. I love this little international flavor that we've had going on here. Momo, you are a delight as always. Oh, thanks. All right, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.